As Jerry said last week, we started looking at uh, Jacob and God who wrestles him. And I didn't mention it last week, and I guess I sort of assumed that it was obvious, but maybe it wasn't, that um, this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ who wrestles with Jacob. I mean, think of it. Christ, God, the second person of the Trinity, comes and wrestles with Jacob all night. I said last week, if I was at certain churches, I might be able to preach for 45 minutes, and had I been able to, I might have been able to finish the message. But then after spending some time this week on the message, I figured I'd need like an hour and 10 minutes. So nobody would listen that long. So we're completing it. And uh, before we read that text that we focused on last week, I'll read that again from Genesis chapter 32. I picked a text out of Mark's gospel that is very relevant, especially when we get to the end of the message. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then from Genesis chapter 32, beginning in verse 22. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left all alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And so there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Forty-six years ago, my father resigned from the position of being controller with Jones and Lachlan Steel Corporation here in Pittsburgh. And the reason he resigned was that his boss came in one day and said, we're having a severe reduction in force, and here's the men I want you to fire. 
My dad looked at the list and said, I'm not going to do it. His boss said, why? And he said, because every one of those men are in my Bible study in my office on Friday morning. I pray with them. I care with, for them. I love them. And if anybody has to go, it's me. I resign. He was out of work for eight months. During that time, he sent resumes all over the country. He received and placed phone calls. He went to interviews. But mostly, he spent time in the living room reading the Bible. So one day, we're playing golf, and I say to my dad, Hey, hey Dad, um, you, know, I, uh, you know, who am I? But shouldn't you be looking for a job? <laughs> and he said, Doug, I've done everything I can do. I've done everything that I need to do. Everything's out there. And besides, the Lord's given me this time to study His Word and to grow. So within months, we moved to Virginia, where my dad works with the Christian Broadcasting Network. And it's in that place that I meet teenagers my age who challenge me. They don't know they're doing it, but they're different from me. I mean, they only listen to Christian radio, not preacher's music. They, uh, when they speak, they're praise the Lord this, praise the Lord that. When they have blessings, they pass them on. And when they have challenges, they get together and they pray. And they don't just pray for a few minutes. They pray for often over an hour. I remember one night, they were, we were all praying in this coffee house we were building. And they were going on and on, and after a half hour, I felt more like an observer than a participant. So I got up real quietly and went to the other side of this big room and sat behind boxes. And I remember I put my head in my hands and I began to review my life. My mind began to race. I began to think of all of these ways in which God had blessed me. And I thought of all the promises He had been made to me, and yet. I was holding back, and I knew I was holding back. I began to ask myself, why are you holding back? And all at once, I got this picture in my mind of my father, how I could never measure up to him, how my little faith in Christ was so small compared to his. For me, he was the ultimate example of faithfulness and devotion. So there I am, sitting behind all these boxes, head in my hands. These pictures of my life are flying by. I'm feeling so inadequate, I don't measure up. I'm exposed. Have you ever had a, a dream when you hear like a bell's ringing? Yeah, this bell's ringing and it's right, you know, might be at a cathedral. And then you wake up and it's the alarm. I mean, they're a total correspondence. Well, when I get to the place in this mind race where I'm feeling totally exposed, I get a sense that the Lord is right there and He's going to ask me a question. And right at that minute, I feel a hand on my shoulder. And I look up and this is guy I don't even really know. I mean, I know of him, but I don't know him. We've never talked. He's older. 
And he looks at me and he says, Doug, you're ready, aren't you? And it was exactly the words that I believe God was saying to me. And so I nodded my head and, and he prayed for me and I was set free that night. Now that was 43 years ago near a river in Virginia. And I feel as though, I mean, I remember that so vividly it could have happened last week. 43 years ago, by that river, the Lord exposed himself to me and he exposed me to me. Now, I don't pretend to be like Jacob. I don't pretend to say that is an exact replica. But 4,000 years ago, by a river named Jabbok, God exposed himself to Jacob and what he mainly indicated to him is that you've placed your father between me and you. I mean, think of it. Both of us felt like we couldn't measure up. Both of us felt as though our fathers were the problem. Jacob's 77 years old. For 75 years, I guess, he's known of the promise. He has known that God had said, the younger will rule over the older. And he was the younger. He knew he was the messianic child. He knew that he was the one that was to carry on the promise of God that one day the Messiah would come. He knew that was his destiny and yet he knew his father was standing in opposition to that. Jacob's culture said that the younger serves the older. Jacob's culture said that the older child is the child of the promise. He's the one of the de- he's the destined one. And he knew Jacob did that his father Isaac believed that. In fact, God said to Isaac and to Rebekah, "Your younger child will be the child of destiny." And yet Isaac didn't buy it at all. He said, "When the time comes for me to give my blessing, I'm going to give it to Esau, not to Jacob." So what's Jacob do? He cons his brother and deceives his father. And God's will is done. In essence, he does what his father does. He says, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to determine the destiny of my own family. Now last week, if you weren't here, you should listen to the podcast or get the CD or something because we laid it all out. His brother... Esau wants to kill him. What does Jacob do? Does he go to the Lord? No, he runs. He leaves Canaan. He runs to his uncle Laban. He flees there. He's in fear. He's all alone. And the Lord meets him in a dream. And he says to him, All that I've promised I will deliver. I will give you all the land, all the descendants, all the blessing I've promised. I will do for you what I told your parents I would do before you were born. And you know what Jacob does? We talked about this last week. He says to God, prove it. Prove it. 
twice he says it. And God does. For 17 years, God pours out untold blessing. He gains wives, he gains female servants, he gains flocks and herds. He becomes a man with whom people must reckon. What God does in those 17 years away from the promised land is he makes him a person who is able to come back and seize his destiny. And so he's making his way back. He hears that his brother is headed toward him. Does he trust the Lord? No. He reverts to his old conniving and deceit. He separates all that he has, all of his wives, all of his children, all of his flocks and herds into seven groups and he sends them all ahead so that they encounter his brother before he does. He rains down an endowment on his brother. And finally, the Bible says when he sends the last group, his most cherished group, he's by the river Jabbok. It's nighttime, and he's all alone. And there in the darkness, somebody grabs him from behind, I think, and wrestles him to the ground, and they spend the night wrestling. And it's amazing, the first week when we began this series, we looked at Job, and when God comes to Job, he comes in a whirlwind. The next week, we looked at Elijah, and when God comes to him, he comes in a whisper. But here, in these two weeks, when God comes to Jacob, he comes as a wrestler. And in my experience, that's how God most often comes to you and me. He wrestles us. Sometimes in the night, sometimes in the day, sometimes in both night and day. And they fight. And in these few verses, these ten verses, we learn so many truths. I want to limit myself to ten. You gulp. They're quick. First, notice the timing. Think of it. At any point in his life, God could have wrestled him. He could have wrestled with him when he deceived his father. He could have wrestled with him when he took off from Canaan to go to his uncle's place. He could have wrestled him when he was gaining all of these flocks and herds. He could have grabbed him at any point. He could have grabbed him when his family and his fortune were intact. He could have grabbed him at any point, but when does he grab him? When he's all alone. When he's got nothing. When he's divested of everything, he trusts in, God comes and he wrestles him. And you know something? That is God's modus operandi. That's the way he works. In the late 1930s, Corey Tenboom's father made a decision. He'd put a hiding place in his house. There in Holland, he would begin to hide Jews from the Nazis. He would hide them, he'd feed them. And he'd allow them to try to get out of Europe. Well, when he began to do this, Corey, one of his daughters, who was already a late teenager, said, Daddy, I'm scared. You know what he said to her? He said, Corey, you remember when you were a little girl and I'd send you down to the train station to buy a ticket? She said, yes. He said, when did I give you the money? Did I give you that money a week ahead? 
Did I give you that money a day ahead? She said, no, Father, you gave me that money when I was walking out the door. And his father, her father said, that's when God will give you the courage you need. Right at that moment. Meaning what? Meaning that's the way God operates. He gives you the strength that you need in those moments. His timing is perfect. So when does he expose himself to Jacob? At the last minute, at the climax of his life, when he has nothing else to lean on. Do you know how many times you hear stories, I was in the gutter, and that's when Christ came to me. There are non-Christians that say that's a bunch of crap because these Christians, they always do these jailhouse conversions. <laughs> Maybe there's some that aren't truly converted, but most are. Because God comes to you and you have nothing else to lean on. He knocks out every prop. Second, notice the tenderness. He wrestles him all night. What's that mean? That means it's not the power of God that overwhelms Jacob. It's the restraint of God. I mean, do you get this in the text? When morning is breaking, they've wrestled all night. Nobody is stronger than the other. That's how you wrestle all night. Nobody's winning. And right when it's ready, to, the sun's ready to come up, this assailant simply touches him on the inside of his hip. And Jacob realizes... This guy could have taken me out. He could have destroyed me. He could have ended my life, but instead he gives me a permanent reminder of his tenderness. From now on, I'll walk with a limp and every one of my steps will remind me that God is tender and gracious. Third, notice the target. At first, to Jacob, the enemy is his brother. At first, he thinks, if I can just beat my brother, if I can just remove him, then the destiny that God has promised me will come to me. But in the end, he knows the true enemy. It's not his brother, it's him. He's the enemy. He suddenly realizes that he's had it all wrong. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps those who know how helpless they are. Fourth. See how we're going? Quick. <laughs> the turn. Think of it. This all begins with God grabbing Jacob. And he won't let go. But when it ends, it ends with Jacob grabbing God and not wanting him to go. As day breaks, the man says to Jacob, let me go. Jacob says, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. Meaning what? Meaning once God has you, no matter where you go, you never want him to let you go. You see, before this exposure, Jacob spent his whole life trying to control God. But now, at the end of this wrestling, he wants God to control him and never stop. Fifth, notice the title. The man asks him at the end, what's your name? 
You know, I never think of this text. I never think of that line without thinking of Ernie Terrell. Remember Ernie? 1967, February 6th, the Astrodome, Houston, Texas. Muhammad Ali's fighting Ernie Terrell for the heavyweight championship of the world. According to every expert, it should have gone three rounds. It goes 15. You know why? Because in the second round, Muhammad Ali says to Ernie Terrell, what's my name? And he answers, Cassius Clay. And he hits him with a right hook. (laughs) Third round, fourth round, kept screaming, what's my name? What's my name? And finally, in the 15th round, Ernie Terrell says, Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali knocks him out. (laughs) Now, isn't it interesting? God doesn't hear say, what's my name? He says, what's your name? What's your name? Why does God ask it? Because he doesn't know? Of course he knows. Why does he ask it? Because he wants Jacob to know that's his name. That's his name. He's been a conniver and a deceiver. That's what Jacob means. And then the Lord says, but no longer will you be called that. You will be called one who's wrestled with God and prevailed. Your name will now be Israel. Israel. His new name ends with God's name, El. No longer are you named Jacob. You're now named for me. He gets a new title. Do you know in the Bible to name something means to control it? To have ownership over it? I mean, that's why God says to Adam and Eve, name the animals. You'll control them. You'll have sovereignty over them. What's God do? Hey, Jake, you're now Israel because I have sovereignty over you. Six, notice the testimony. All of his life, Jacob has wanted land and children and the blessing of God. All his life, he's wanted the stuff that God has promised and he wants God to deliver. God's not only promised it to him, he's promised it to his grandfather, he's promised it to his father, he's promised it to Jacob. But at the end of the night, he doesn't care about the stuff. He doesn't just want the blessing, he wants the blesser. He wants the one who had said to his grandfather, I am your strength and your shield, I am your exceedingly great reward. You see, God has now become for him his exceedingly great reward. What he exposes is what he's always wanted. Jacob, you thought you wanted land. You thought you wanted seed. You thought you wanted my blessing. But what you really wanted is to see me face to face. What you really wanted is to experience my nearness. What you really wanted was me. And you know how we know he got it? Because he names the name of that place Peniel, which means I have seen the face of God. And I've lived. Remember when he calls him Israel? You've wrestled with God and prevailed. How did he prevail? He lived. 
I mean, if you wrestle with God and you live, you've prevailed. (laughs) But see, he hasn't just lived. He's gotten a new life. Everything he ever really wanted with never really knowing what it was. He now knows what it is and he's got it. So what's all this mean to you and me? Four takeaways. First, if you want to get closer to God, he's going to show you that your main problem is not your mother or father. He's going to show you that your main problem is not your sister or brother. It's not your boss. It's not your paycheck. It's not your health. Your main problem is you. God will always tell you that. He'll say the real problem is you because you don't trust me. You, it's you because you won't depend on my grace. Don't you know I could have wiped you out a long time ago, but I didn't. Because I know your true identity. And you know, when you get to know that, I mean, when you really, really know that, you're well on your way to a new life. Second, God almost always has to wound you to show you this. He almost always has to wound you to break through all of your denials. He almost always has to break you in some way to let you know that he needs to recreate you. Third, see how quick we're going? I only got two more. Third, what you really want, what you really want is him. Behind all the blessing, behind all the stuff, behind all the health, behind all the good news, you really, really just want him. You know, years ago, I knew a woman who was exactly the same age as me. She was so much like me. I mean, we both had two children. They both were girls. We were the same age. We lived in the same place. But there was one huge difference. She had cancer and I didn't. One day I went to see her. I asked her a question other people had asked me. Why, do they, why is she not asking for prayer for healing? In fact, why is she denying that? I asked her and she looked me in the eye and she said, because I've never been closer to God than since I've gotten cancer. I've never sensed his presence like I do now. And if this is dying, bring it on. I said, what about your kids? They're young just like mine. He'll take care of them. How about your husband? Don't you like him? Yeah, I love him. But Jesus loves him more. That's where Jacob comes. At the end of the night, at the end of the fight, Jacob doesn't want it to end. He doesn't want to quit wrestling. Even in the midst of his pain, he says, never let me go. I mean, it's one thing to be caressed and not be let go. It's one thing to be on a super trip 
a wonderful vacation, not want to leave. It's great to be on a honeymoon. But he is in pain, and he says, never let me go. Why? Because he suddenly recognizes he wants him more than anything else. And then fourth and finally, and this is the biggest point, when he finally meets his brother the next, in the next few hours, he meets him with no fear. He has absolutely no fear. Remember he sent those seven waves of stuff ahead because he was scared. Now he has no fear. Why doesn't he have fear? I'll tell you why. Because he knows the secret of God. And if you know the gospel, you know the secret of God too. Think of it. You can know God's deepest secret. You know what it is? If God had come to wrestle Jacob in his power, he would have won the battle and lost the man. But instead he comes in his weakness and he wins the battle and he wins the man. Do you see this? From all of eternity, God determined that he would save us through his weakness. In fact, it's in his weakness that we see his strength. You know why Jacob was only touched by God's power? Because Jacob's greater son, Jesus, would get all of the power of God poured out on him. Jesus didn't come to kick butt and take names. He came to suffer and die. To take more than a touch of his father. To have all of the wrath of God poured. Why? Because he came as a servant. That's where the power is. You know, Paul's right. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So think about that as you limp to his table today. He's all you want. He's certainly all you need. Let's pray. Father, you've spoken to us so clearly in this text. We're just like Jacob with needs just as great. And you can come and you can wrestle us, not in your power, but in your weakness. And you can change us. Lord, we come to your table many times before. Sometimes it almost becomes a ritual. Don't let it be that for us today. Lord, may you do here in this room at this hour for us what you did for Jacob. That as we eat and we drink your brokenness, that we would see our brokenness in a whole new way. Lord, may we understand our name. 
no longer Chris or Joe or Bob or Doug or Gail or Bev or Sue, but Christian. Lord, may all of your blessing flow out from us as it did from Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen.